Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Hey, all right. Well, we are going to jump into the message here this morning because I want to respect time in the clock, and we will have time for prayer at the end. Sound good? So I'm going to dismiss you, incredible band. Thank you. Let's give it up for the worship team who poured out so generously for us this morning. Love that. Okay. Well, hi. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nicole, and my husband Jake and I get to lead this beautiful community, and I'm excited to share with you. We are launching into a whole new series today called Overflow, and that is our theme for the year, and so I'm excited to bring you a message on faith. Now, I need to warn you, I was, uh, you know, doing my due diligence. I like to be prepared when I come to share with you, so I was in the kitchen on a Thursday night. Winston was at basketball with Dad, and Mabel sitting at the kitchen table eating her spaghetti. I'm in the kitchen cleaning up simultaneously, you know, preparing the word, okay? So I'm talking it out. That's how I learn. And Mabel, um, my three-and-a-half-year-old, she's across, you know, in the, in, at the table eating, and she goes, Mommy, stop doing that. And I'm like, why? And she goes, because it's boring. So I hope this is way more entertaining than it was to her. God bless the kids, volunteers, sowing the word into my daughter now. <sighs> Anyways, okay. Have you ever, are you ready for this? Have you ever asked someone to help you do something or ask them a question and their response is immediate, hands up, that's beyond me? right? Maybe you've said it. I know I've said it. That's beyond me. You know, when your friend who has the newborn and you haven't had kids yet and they've had the blowout diaper and they ask you to help with, you know, and you're like, that's, that's beyond me. That's, that's above my pay grade. Okay. And so we say that to what? Deter ourselves from having to answer or having to step in. And what I have found is that sometimes we play that card against more serious matters in life. And when we do that, we actually find ourselves putting um, ourselves in a, a bit of a stalled position. Let's say you have um, excessive debt that you're wanting to get out of, but your mentality internally is just, that's beyond me. Or you want to do what Pastor Dylan was saying and be uh, hilarious in your generosity, but it's too daunting to actually look at your budget, and so you just think, that's beyond me. You want to activate that business plan, but to pull together the financing, it's just, it's beyond me. But there isn't a Christian on this planet who doesn't want to live out the Ephesians 3.20 life right? We all know it. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ask or imagine. You've said that line. I've said that line. And it's not just a fluffy statement we use to make ourselves feel better when we come up against an obstacle. It is actually the truth. It's the word of God and it's his desire of the story he wants to write out for your life. But the thing is, before we can live in the exceedingly abundantly above, we first have to get comfortable living out in the beyond. Now let me explain that. Ephesians 3.20, the message version, says it like this. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine, guess, or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply 
and gently within us. It starts first within. See, if we want to dare to go beyond what we could imagine, guess, or request, at some point in our journey, we have to be willing to go beyond where reason can take us. See, reason will bring you to the cross. When we have the revelation of what Jesus did for you and I, the debts that he cleared, the death that he took on the cross, then it's reasonable that we would put our trust in him. But on the other side of that decision, it's so reasonable that you look back and you realize from your formal way of living how foolish you've been. But faith can't just stop at reason. Faith has to go beyond reason. It is faith after all. And so we have to anticipate that as Jesus leads us from the cross and we start doing the work that he has us to do, that it's going to take us into some territory that will cause us to live beyond our means. Now, before you start thinking I'm giving you permission to max out your credit card, please live financially responsible. But what we need to understand is that the the path that Jesus has marked out for you and I, it will take us into places that is beyond our ability, beyond our comprehension, and beyond our control. And before that statement triggers you, let me encourage you that that should be stirring up your faith because it definitely reflects how much God thinks about you, that he wants to put you in those places and spaces. So we can't just live life within our own means because if we do that, that means we're leaving so much of his means untouched, untapped into sitting there on the table. It's crossing over into the beyond where the fulfillment of the exceedingly above is found. God can do anything, you know? No room for doubt in that statement. If you were to take a survey of your life right now and you reflect back on your recent accomplishments and accusations, or not accusations, um, things you've acquired, if you could pat yourself on the back and say, good job, Nicole, You've, you are the reason why you have accomplished X, Y, and Z, then before you get all puffed up about yourself, what you need to realize is that there are so many chips left sitting on the table for you. See, Christianity is risky business, but it is never a gamble because Jesus secured the final win when we get to have eternity with him. And we can't take that lightly, but it is risky business. C.S. Lewis described the life and the character of Jesus through uh, the association to Aslan the lion and the Chronicles of Narnia like this. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good, and he's the king. And therein lies what secures our faith to follow him. See, it's the truth that he is good, meaning he holds our best. And he is king, which means he has the power and the authority. And God desires to bring you beyond what feels or even seems reasonable, where you can begin to live out the exceedingly abundantly above. But it will require us, church, to carry a beyond reasonable faith. And that's what I want to talk to us here this morning morning is about beyond reasonable faith. So let's pray one more time and we're going to dive into the word this morning. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this gathering. I thank you for every son and daughter that you have placed here today. I thank you for every person that is listening online, Lord. And God, I ask that it will not be my voice that goes forward, but it will be your voice. The Holy Spirit, you would be so intricately woven into every sound and syllable, Lord, that you are piercing the hearts and minds, that this would be a a convicting and faith-building word, Lord. Bring it to your glory. Amen. 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 Okay, so faith is a pretty big topic to talk about, and I want to drill into this risky, unreasonable faith, and so I want to talk to us here this morning about who it is for, right, what it requires, and what it does. Are you ready? Are you with me, South Bay? Okay, so I'm going to bring us to the story of Joshua. Joshua was uh, Moses' second-in-command, and he is known for leading the Israelites out of the wilderness into the Promised Land, and of course, the, the coming down of the walls of Jericho as they marched around them. So Joshua, he's known for his leadership, his military success, and he's known for his faith. However, Joshua is not listed by name in the famous uh, heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, like Abraham. Abraham or Sarah or Moses are listed, but the outworking of his faith is noted for us. In verse 30, it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down and they had been encircled for seven days. What I love about this reference of faith is that it doesn't just stop on how your faith can have a personal impact on yourself, but how an overflow of faith from one person can mobilize and move an entire nation to walk out this miracle of God. And that's what our faith, our unreasonable faith should do. It should pour over into the lives that are around us and move them into the beyond with us. And like I said, his name isn't listed in this hall of fame of faith, but the one name that is attached to his story is Rahab. It says in Hebrews 11:31, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So once again, his faith, Joshua's faith isn't just for his own recognition, but his faith is a platform so the least likely, the most unsuspecting character could be elevated and celebrated for her faith. So what if our faith is is less about what we can accomplish and what we can do, and it's more about who we move with us and who we elevate with us along the way? In other words, our faith should be a springboard for those who are around us. And we see this out of the commission of Joshua when God comes and meets him. In Joshua 1.1, we're going to read this passage together. If you have your Bible, you may join me. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Don't you love it when God's just really obvious? (laughs) In case you missed that one. Um, Now, therefore, (laughs) he says, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that your soul, the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. 
See, what I love about this moment is done aren't the days of them shuffling around in the wilderness for 40 years, and now the time has come for Joshua to rise up and go in faith. And he understands that this isn't just some personal mission, some personal adventure plan that he's trotting off to do, but he holds a commission. He holds a weight and a responsibility for the radical advancement and the betterment of a nation, and really the entire world, because Israel's original mission was to bring glory and blessing to God and to the entire world. He held a weight and a responsibility. And just like Joshua, we too are connected to a people, aka the body of Christ, the church, the people around you right now. And so when we choose to join in and be a part, we carry a weight and a responsibility for the radical advancement of God's kingdom and the betterment of the people of this city and beyond. Ephesians 4.16 gives us a little reference to the body of Christ that it should look like this. When each part is working properly and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, when we show up and our faith is properly at work in the body of Christ, the outcome should be growth. So when we show up on a Sunday morning and we worship in faith and we pray in faith, when we come to group and we open up in faith, when we come to one night ready to receive in faith, when we come to vision builders ready to sow in faith, the outcome should be growth. And the growth of an unreasonable faith is unreasonable because to a human perspective, growth happens by way of addition. But we know in God's kingdom, it happens by way of multiplication, which we see in the power of the seed. See, what I want you to understand here right now is if you can carry a beyond reasonable faith into this place, as you sow of your time, your talents, and your treasure, it doesn't just stop with us. We aren't just adding a nice like trinket to someone's life. We are giving them an opportunity for the next leader, the next believer, the next generation to be so moved and so impacted by the activation of the faith put on display in this space that they begin to dream exponentially bigger than they ever dared to dream before. See, I look around and I see the Cleos and the Charlies and the Sabatini boys and I see my own children and I don't want to just give them a leg up in life. I don't want to just have them stand on my shoulders. I want to be a springboard. I want our faith to shoot them off to land in this place that is far greater than they could ever think or imagine. See, this isn't some sweet fairy tale notion. This is how God has set up his kingdom to grow and his kingdom to multiply. Jesus tells the disciples in John 14, 12, whoever believes in me also will do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now what Jesus, he wasn't saying that we would have more power than him because when Jesus was on earth, he was all man and all God. And yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but don't know about you, I'm not all God, so you know. <laughs> but what Jesus was referencing is that the greater works is we would have an ex a greater extension, that the word of God, the word of the gospel would go further because Jesus' time on earth to do his work was physically bound by where his feet could go. But Jesus knew the plan. He knew the plan that he was going to establish and build his church and the expansion of the kingdom would follow. He knew where the beyond reasonable faith of his disciples would take the word of the Lord. He knew that it would take it into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and beyond to the ends of the earth. And now here we are today with 3.28 billion Christians in the world. 
And guess what? You get to be part of those greater works, of the extension of God's word in his building of his church. When you show up on March 18th and you sow into vision builders, you get to sow into the extension of the greater works as we give to the persecuted church in places like Afghanistan, Iran. Come on, we don't just stop on ourselves, but we allow it to go beyond. See, Christianity, like I said, it's a risky business. And sometimes the risk is just sitting down and confronting our own weaknesses. Did you know that 55% of Americans don't have a budget? Did you know that? I know, Pastor Jerry, is, he runs the finances for our church. So he's like, what? And 56% of Americans couldn't tell you how much money they spent last month. Amazing. And so if I can't account for how I spent my own money on my own self, how the heck can I expect to make a difference for Jesus with what he has given me to steward well? See, we need a faith that has endurance. We need to have a faith that is willing to engage in some risky business. And when we engage with this kind of faith, we need to know that we are participating in a, a plan that has no, um, that cannot be held back. Uh, Paul writes to us in, um, in 2 Timothy, he says that, I am bound in chains, but the word of God is not bound. So that means that the word of God is not bound. It, is unf it's, it's, it cannot be held back. And the way that it moves, the way that it expands is through our faith. Our beyond reasonable faith is one that will carry it. Our faith isn't meant to just stick for ourselves. Come on, church. Our faith is meant to move the others into the beyond with us. So what does this kind of faith require? This kind of faith requires complete and utter trust. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. So in essence, faith requires trust and confidence held to the furthest degree of finality and firmness. Now you don't have to be in a persecuted church or Paul in chains to experience this kind of faith because faith just being what it is all on its own from a human mind is very risky because it requires complete and utter trust and reliance on the Lord, which means we have to completely be okay with letting go. And let's be honest, we can barely let go of our cell phones, let alone the entirety of ourselves. But trust is absolutely essential to have faith. And we see how God builds the trust, builds that assurance into Joshua in this second part of his commission. In Joshua 1, 5 through 9, this is God speaking to him. He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then they will make you be prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Joshua, be strong, be courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Now, I love there's this shift in tone here. The commission started with like, okay, Joshua, now's the time. Here's the plan. You're the guy. And then all of a sudden it shifts to this personal, intimate moment. You can feel the tone going from like commander of the army to like the father. And it's like the pep talk before the game. You know, like Winston started playing basketball. So you betcha Jake is like in the pep talk zone. He's like, buddy, you're going to be aggressive. You got this. You're going to do it. You're going to catch the ball. You're going to shoot the ball. We're like pep talking him all the way to the game. And I love this because this idea that our faith in Christ has to be what spurs our faith for him to walk out his plan for our lives. And God always knows what we need before we know what we need, right? And so, so many of us were like, I want to know the plan. Give me the plan. And God doesn't reveal the military strategy to Joshua till much, much further on. What he first does is he gives him the pep talk. He's like, before you want to know how it's going to be done, I need to tell you who is with you. And some of us here today are frustrated because we're like, I just don't know how that dream is going to come to pass. I just don't know how I'm going to work this out. And God is like, let me show you first and assure you. Let's build the trust first. But this can be hard for us because as humans, we don't enjoy doing trust falls. I mean, come on, who did the trust falls at youth camp? Yes, at retreats. And it's like that cheesy exercise to force us to get to like one another and trust one another in a matter of a few seconds. But the truth is you can't trust someone you don't know very well. And, and Joshua was able to rise up and go in faith, not even knowing the full plan yet. Why? Because he had put in the time previously to get to know the God that he served. He was up on the mountain with God in the glory cloud for six days when he got the Ten Commandments, when Moses would go to the meeting tent, which was before the tabernacle, and Moses would sit, like it says, like a man would talk to a friend, communing with God. Guess who was in the tent with him? And when Moses would leave the tent to go back to the camp, guess who's stayed in the tent. Joshua was able to activate the faith because he trusted the God he served because he put in the time. If you're struggling with doubt here today, put in the time. Be reminded of the God that you serve. See, God gives him three assurances. He tells him three times, be strong and courageous. And in those three times, he assures him of his promise, of his power, and of his presence. Some of us, we need to go back and be reminded of his promise. What is the promise? The promise that he gave to Joshua is that he would succeed. Listen, as a new covenant believer, you have the promise of victory on your side. We don't need to come at this as a victim. We are victorious. Romans reminds us of that, that we are victorious. If God is for us, who can be against us? In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We cannot lose sight of the promise that victory, my friends, is on our side. You know what I love about Joshua's story is that this wasn't his first time about to go into the promised land. He was one of the 12 spies that Moses, before the wilderness thing happened, Moses sends 12 spies to go scout out the promised land. He's like, let us know who's hanging out there, who's on our turf, bring us back some spoils, some fruit, so we know, you know, what we're going in for. And these 12 spies spend 40 days in the promised land. And then they come back, and it says 10 of the spies come with what the Bible calls a bad report. They're like, listen, we look like grasshoppers next to the giants that are in that land. They're going to devour us. Never mind you, they brought back the fruit, the, the picture of the blessing that was to come for them. But then Joshua and Caleb, 
They, they didn't see a land that would devour them because they knew the God that they served. They're like, come on, let's go now. God's with us. We don't need anything else. Let's do this. But the Israelites, no, they allowed that fear report to come into their hearts and minds and block them from receiving the blessing in that moment. Psalm 106, 24, it says, Then they despise the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. Listen, when we lose sight of the promise, when we begin to fail to trust in our God, the thing that God wants to put before us as a joy and as a blessing becomes the thing that we begin to grumble against, the thing we begin to despise. It says that the Israelites begin to grumble against the Lord, and as a result, God sends them off into the wilderness to wander around for 40 years, and then it will only be their children that are allowed to enter the promised land now at this point in our story. And I find it so fascinating that this is the enemy's objective. If he can get fear in your spirit, eventually, because you're immobilized by not able to respond with faith, you will begin to feel defeated. And when you are defeated long enough, you will begin to loathe the thing God gave you to love. They despise the promised land. How many do we know that have come to a city with a sparkle in their eye and a, a skip in their step, and before you know it, they're burnt out. They're loathing the city that they were coming to for their promise oh come on when I moved here I thought I was just going to give a year of my life to this place I had no idea I came from Georgia do you know what you can spend to buy a five-bedroom house in Georgia it's your down payment I can buy the whole dang thing over there and as I realized my life was going to be planted in this space as Jake you know got me all courted and stuff and engaged and married and I was like okay I guess this is where we're really gonna set up life and I was defeating. You hear it. It's hard to raise a family in L.A. Well, thank gosh I had people who went before me, like the Sabatinis, raising their boys. Best darn boys you'll ever meet. You know, it's hard to buy a house in L.A. Well, thank goodness we have the Sabatinis here, the Pringles here, showing us this is how you buy a house in L.A. And so I will never forget that Jake um, came home one day in our first year of marriage. Now, let me remind you, Jake and I, we got married very young, and so we were just making mid-tier management retail salaries, which 13 years ago was definitely not a lot of money. <laughs> but Jake inherited this faith to buy property, and no matter if it was in Georgia or L.A., he had faith to buy a home. And so he came to me one day, he's like, babe, what do you think if we, like, try to buy buy something here. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like, that's impossible. Do you know how much money we make? I know how much money we make. I mean, I'm buying 99 cents pizza dough for our meals, okay? So, you know, and you know, sure enough, Jake has the faith for it. So what does he do? He starts actioning it out. He starts moving on it. He starts putting finances together. He starts talking to mortgage brokers, lenders, like the whole thing. And before I know it, I'm sitting in front of a real estate agent giving her my wish list, okay? I'm like 25. I barely make any money, and I'm giving this woman my wish list. I feel like a fraud. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, I want, I'll start, you know, mid-tier. I want the two-bedroom laundry and unit would be nice and maybe a pool. And so where did we end up? We got a one-bedroom condo in Sherman Oaks. Laundry wasn't a unit, but there was a pool. And that home was the greatest blessing for us. We pulled together our measly 3% down payment and we just made it happen. And I didn't despise the day of small beginnings because I knew that I was making room for God to move. For God to get on that level of faith. You fast forward 
I'm in the kitchen. Jake is outside. It's 2020. The pandemic has just hit. We don't really know what's going on. And uh, he comes in from outside from the backyard because that's where we were officing, you know, just trying to separate ourselves from the kids. He comes in like the kid that got the golden ticket at Willy Wonka waving his phone. And he's just like marching around. I mean, he is pumped. He's like marching around Jericho. He's like, babe, I think we're going to buy a property out of this thing. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, do you realize the economic crisis that we are on the brink of? You just told me to go empty the bank account and buy every food I could buy at the grocery store. <laughs> and now you're going to say we're going to buy a building for church? Are you kidding me? Oh, but he had faith. He had the faith. He had beyond reasonable faith. So he started pulling together the finances, talking to Jerry. Him and James, they started looking at property. Before I knew it, I'm touring, like, facilities, and then this building came up in Highland Park just around the corner. The building that we ended up buying at the end of that year for our, lo our location in Highland Park. And the space, may I remind you, is the space where we held our very first vision builders. We rented it. And the vision builder's title was The Future Is Now. Talk about prophetic. Like God wants to get on our beyond reasonable faith, but we have to trust him. We can't be the 10 spies and, and block the blessing because we have a fearful report. We have to hold on. We have to hold on. Okay, let's talk about the word quickly here. The word, the power. He, talk, he gives them assurance of his power. He's like, he's like, Joshua, you got to hold on to my word. You got to obey it. That's going to be the key to your success. And what I find interesting is that God says, be strong and very courageous, <laughs> very courageous to do according to what my law says. In fact, it makes it almost sound like God's saying, listen, it's going to require more courage from us to do according to what the word of God says than it is just to go fight some battles. And so we have to understand the importance of having his word inside of us. That's where our power gets drawn from. See, trust is like a reservoir. And the more we fill it, that's when God can call upon us to step out in faith. He has something to draw from. So it has a relationship. The more of his word I ingest and digest, the greater my faith can be drawn from that moment. See, I have a faith for babies in this house. And I have a faith for children to be conceived. No matter what doctors say, I have two columns in my journal. One is for those who are trying. Those are, the other column is for those who are pregnant. And I pray for both. And I have been able to take one column and put it in the other column. And sometimes, sometimes I put it in the other column and I have to put it back in the first column. But that doesn't deter my faith. Because when my brothers and sisters are feeling weak, come on, our faith goes beyond just ourselves. I keep standing in faith. I keep believing. That's the kind of faith we need to have as a church. He gives them assurance of his presence. Now, I love that God opens and closes this dialogue with Joshua with assuring him of his presence. And in the second time, God says, don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. And there's this little extra detail as if God can actually hear the doubt in Joshua's mind. He can hear the questions and the rebuttals he wants to ask. But he's like, no, no, I got you. I understand you're feeling weak. I understand your knees might be shaken. I'm going to be with you, Joshua, wherever you go. We have to allow God to assure us of his presence. And sometimes when we trip and fall in life, we think God has left us. But what I've learned is that God is not a helicopter parent. He's not a helicopter parent. 
I'm a helicopter parent. When my toddler's at the park, I'm spotting their every move. If they fall and trip, it's the mom gasp. <gasps> I always know Jake's giving me the side eye when I do that. But what's Jake doing? He's just standing there watching. Yeah, you can do it, buddy. Go. You can do it. That's okay. Get back up. You can do it. That's kind of more of God's presence with us. He's present. He is near. He knows when we're going to rise and when we're going to fall. That's what Psalm 139 reminds us. It says, I am an open book to you, even from a distance. You know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the sentence. See, God knows, and this is why we can trust him. God knows what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and we need to get into a habit of allowing ourselves to come to God in true transparency and be like, God, this is what I'm feeling. These are the doubts I have. These are the insecurities I'm struggling with. These are the fears, the questions. And what that does is it allows us to unhinge ourselves from the lies and connect ourselves better to our God. So eventually, we have to now convert this reservoir of trust for our beyond reasonable faith into action. I'm going to ask the band to come and join me now. We have to translate this into action. See, the call on Joshua's life wasn't a newsflash for him. He knew that he was the guy up to lead the Israelites into the promised land. God had revealed this plan to Moses. Moses shared it with the Israelites and with Joshua. So it wasn't like Night of the Rock Spirit. It was like, him, me, him, me. Like, who's it going to be? Like, Joshua knew. Like, this is his time. And so he knew his faith wasn't just for himself. It was for the nation. And he knew that he had put in the time and he had built up his trust in God, that he was going to be able to have success wherever he went. And so he was able to rise up and take action. Now we need to keep in mind, Joshua still didn't have the plan. He didn't know how they were going to cross the turbulent Jordan River. They didn't know how they were going to take down a walled city, but he was given two instructions, arise and go. And so what did he do? He did just that. He got up and he took command of the people. He went to the officers and he told them, begin to prepare he told them, begin to prepare to take possession. And that's what Beyond Reasonable Faith does. It begins to stir up the faith around one another to prepare to receive what the Lord has for us. I love that Joshua took command. It doesn't say he took control. Those are two different things. See, to take command means we understand that we have an obedience to the call of the Lord. And it's his power that, that, that moves us. It's his will that, that we align to. There's an obedience. We hold things loosely. To take control, it's like my way, my means. And that's where we find ourselves beginning to stifle the creativity of our creator. My way, my means, command. God's given me the authority. By God, I'm going to do this. I don't know how. But I'm just going to start doing what I know to do right now. So I'm going to begin to prepare the people to take possession and one of the ways he prepares is that he goes to these it's two and a half tribes. I don't really know how that worked, but that's what the Bible says. Two and a half tribes that had decided they wanted the land that was east of the Jordan. So not the land on the other side of the Jordan. You got me? And they wanted to settle here. They wanted this to be their inheritance. And God's like, okay, I'll give you that land as your inheritance. But you have to make a vow. When it's time for the other ten tribes to cross over the Jordan and take possession of their land... You're going to fight with them. You're going to help them do it. And so Joshua comes to these tribes and he's like, guys, 
I'm going to remind you of the promise you made to God. Beyond reasonable faith, we don't let our brothers and sisters take a step back from what they've promised to do because it's always God's plan and it's always God's best. So he goes to them and he says, all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. See, beyond reasonable faith is willing to be obedient to go first. We have to go first, my friends. We have to be willing to cross the territory and go first, which means we have to go off of the obedience of a command and not control. If they remained in control of what God had given them, they would have been possessive of the possession. But because they were willing to be faith-filled and go before saying, I know what it feels like to have this promise. I've been there. It's good, and I want you to have it too. Come on, we have to be generous with our faith here today. Joshua, I could, I could feel his anticipation growing as he got closer, as people started shuffling and putting their things together and putting on their armor and children giggling and excited about the adventure that was ahead. I could feel Joshua being like, I'm ready for my feet to touch that soil again. Oh, I can feel my faith stirring. I don't know how, but I can feel my faith building. I can't wait for my feet to touch that soil again. See, Joshua was a remnant of faith that allowed the next generation to go into the promised land. Our faith today preserves the futures of others' tomorrows. That is what God is calling us to do. Let's stand in this place. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.